What makes Alina Timofeva of the Oliver Wyman Digital Practice in London so special? A whole lot, it turns out. From her popular TEDx talk about being a Russian emigre and weathering hundreds of job rejections, to her expertise in cross-border payments and customer centricity, and finally, her personal experience beating the fraudsters, she's truly one of a kind. Join us for an animated chat with Alina taped at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam. Here on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights unscripted. Banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, Check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic, part of the NMD Plus family of podcasts based in London. We are coming to you, as you might be able to tell from the background noise and the boogieing soundtrack, live from Money 2020 in Amsterdam. And it has been a really great conference. We've taped a number of podcast episodes that you will be able to hear on the Bankadelic page on SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. And today on the show, what a treat. We have Alina Timofeva. Alina is based in the London area and a principal at Oliver Wyman's Digital Practice in London. A multi-award winning expert on digital transformation and innovation, Alina focuses on the topics of cloud, data and risk management, and is a frequent speaker at conferences, including, of course, Money 2020 Europe. And she is driven by her desire to help make the digital space safe, fair, and customer-centric. Her clients include JP Morgan, HSBC, and Credit Suisse. And recently, she gave a TEDx talk, Fail But Never Give Up, where she shared her biggest failure and what motivated her to keep going and we all need to keep going. Alina, welcome to Bankadelic. Thank you so much, Louis. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course. And if you don't mind my asking, because I could use a little inspiration today, clue us in on a little bit of that TEDx talk and what this failure was and how you managed to keep going in spite of it. Yeah, my first failure was actually getting on the TED Talk because nobody wanted me there. Oh. So I applied to every single TED Talk and I got a decline. Uh, but I managed to get there and it's now one of the most watched in the UK, one of the most viewed ones. So it has over half a million views and 21 languages. That is fabulous. 
Yes. So did you talk directly about that experience? Because that's very clever if that was the actual subject of the talk. No, 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 no. So it's more related to my journey as an immigrant. So I was born in Russia and I was brought up to be a housewife. And actually now, given that I'm in money 2020, you may figure out that I'm not a housewife anymore. Um, so one of my first failures was I was, I couldn't get promoted in McDonald's. So I was washing floors and I didn't get to doing the big max. And that was very disappointing for me. I mean, a lot of the challenges were around, you know, applying and doing and then finally getting rejection after rejection after rejection. So even to get my job in the UK, I had to apply to over 500 jobs, which is quite a lot. Wow. And I got all of these rejections and only three yes kind of allowed me to immigrate. I would say that that happened at the time of the Crimea crisis, which was quite difficult as well. And when I came to the UK, and that's quite funny, I, I've never met like British people or English people. So I didn't know how to do like, how are you? How was your weekend? So when my uh, colleague came up to me after the first weekend and he asked me, how are you? How was your weekend? I was like, well, I have no money because I wasn't paid. I'm, uh, oh, no. I got kicked out of my house. I'm living in some random place and I'm coming to the office of Credit Suisse to take a shower and also I have no heating and uh, basically no Wi-Fi. So after he listened to all of this, nobody asked me about how I am for a year. Oh no. Yes. But you gave an honest answer. Yes, I know, I know, I know. Oh, that, yeah, well, what an incredible, for all my laughing, a story of persistence. Do you feel that that applying for hundreds of positions and sticking through that experience and even overcoming the expectation of you to become a housewife, that that gave you this sort of escape velocity, if you will. Like the more that you had to push, the more that you had to try, the more energy and momentum supported you once you got through. Well, so the way I see is that failure is an opportunity to grow. So I am quite persistent and tenacious and I persist till I succeed. I think it does help, you know, through my work life because I got promoted quite fast within my career. And now a lot of the stuff is still, you know, even with Money 2020, you still have to apply. I mean, I didn't get rejected this time, which was good. <laughs> That's good. But it's it, it's the same story. You know, the more experienced I become, the more the challenges, they grow, right? So for example, now I need to find new customers, right? Or to expand the business. And I think what is very good is when the customers say no to me, I don't get that upset because I have been experiencing it for a while. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about what the vibe is here. And obviously people are here to do business, to make contacts, to get their message out. Tell me if you would, what you have gathered from this convention, I think like me, this is your first one, correct? Yes. So I'm interested in your opinion. What did you think in terms of what you saw? Were there things that you heard that you found really interesting? Were there maybe things you were expecting to see that you wish you could see more of? Mm -hmm. I was very excited to see the Moneybot stage because it had a real robot, which was four meters. <laughs> and uh, it was announcing, because I was doing a panel, so it was announcing us in a robotic way, but I was just impressed that this could be possible. 
Um, I think the uh, honest answer is I think it's a great opportunity to meet the different people. And this is my first Money 2020, so I didn't really expect the scale and the number of attendees and the number of topics. So I'm quite proud to be a speaker, but also to, you know, to help the others get their message across. That's from the speaking perspective. From the business perspective, I think it's again, it's a great opportunity to see all these different colleagues or uh, similar people in the industry to help shape the future. Um, and I personally think that I would have liked to spend much more time here and perhaps I'm really tired after day two, day three, <laughs> right? So perhaps a little bit more extension would have helped to, you know, to meet more people and to be around. Um, I would probably say that one of the topics which was of interest to me was the regulation, because that's one of the areas I focus on, and it's the digital operational resilience. But it's just interesting to see like how they bring the regulators and somebody from the smaller startups and somebody from the banks to discuss this important topic. And I've just been to the session now, that's why it's live in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, they were talking, you know, like, you should have started doing it earlier, right? And you now only have 18 months to do this. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that shows like this give an opportunity to not just hear one point of view within your firm, but to also hear from the external people, which perhaps you typically don't hear very simply, you know, where you are. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think having those disparate viewpoints really helps to inform sound decision making and knowledge mm -hmm. before you make those decisions. Speaking of which, right, we've got this situation with so much global unrest. The world in many, many senses is entirely different mm -hmm. from what it was at the beginning of 2020. So expectations have changed the status quo has changed. I'm wondering how much you believe finance needs to adapt based on everything that's going on and where you see that adaptation as being crucial. Yeah, so I think that there are a couple of points here. So there is the economic situation, which you mentioned, the inflation, uh, the way the supply chain is working. But for me, the biggest change is the customers like you and I, right? So the world is becoming customer centric and say if it's payments, because money 2020 is a bit about payments, it's like people want to have faster, simpler payments and they want to make it in a safe and agile way. So I think that this combination, and I've spoken to quite a few clients here, the combination of making it within the cost and within the safety and within the simplicity and being fast is quite difficult to achieve, right? And I would probably say that the last 10 years are very different from the upcoming 10 years. But my main message is, yes, technology can help and support us to, you know, to become more resilient, more agile, more safe. But it's ultimately about the empowerment of us as a customers of going through these difficult times and believing and actually executing on the fact that you can be safe, you can be secure and you can be agile. Because if you don't trust, right, or if you are not trusting, you may not be able to change as fast as you need to. And if you don't change as fast as you need to, you are behind the curve. So as a business, you need to be able to change. Technology is one of the levers, but it's not the only one. Yeah, and it seems that that is more challenging than ever, given that the world is changing faster and faster and faster. If we were here a year ago, 
and you said chat GBT, for example, mm. people would be like, what's that? I have mm. no idea what you're talking about. And now suddenly that's a reality. How with that change dynamic, does it make it even more challenging to do these things that you're talking about, to make sure that you're putting the customer first and building that level of trust. So I would probably say that ChatGPT is a way of reaction on the customer needs. I would say that the world is all about, you know, serving the customer. I appreciate not everybody is doing it right now, but yeah. ultimately it is about the customer. I would say what makes it more difficult is in many of the cases, there is still a legacy, right? So you take the innovation, which will be all this exciting new stuff. But the reality, if you go to a bank, there is a lot of legacy. Yeah. So even if it's something nice and exciting, you can have it in pockets, but can you adopt it across the whole organization? That's what is challenging, right? If you are a small organization, it's perhaps easier. But I think um, ultimately for me, ChatGPT or anything more innovative, it's an opportunity, right? And it's an opportunity for us to become more and more customer-centric. Yeah, absolutely. And we touched on trust earlier. It is definitely a word that has a lot of meaning in the wrong hands. It's mm -hmm. a buzzword. What does that mean to you, digital trust? How would you define that? So I think for me, the trust is more that you are comfortable with all this chaos and uncertainty. And the digital trust, there are, of course, the elements around, you know, the scalability, the simplicity, the resilience. As I mentioned, DORA, which is the regulation, it's all about the resilience. Um, but. If you think about it, you need to, you know, you need to trust the company, you need to trust the brand, you need to trust the technology. So technology is quite important. And there are different components of digital trust. Like if you use AI, like ChatGTP, can you find that this is a safe solution because there are AI risks uh, allocated to this? And I would probably say that if you look forward, there are all these new technologies like digital ledgers, uh, digital assets, um, the central bank digital currencies and all of that. But with all these new technologies come the new risks. So I think what's important for us as customers is to understand these risks or at least be able to understand them, to mitigate them. And that is where the digital trust comes in. So if you are a company selling new services or building new products, you need to make sure that your customers understand what it is, not just on the hyper wave of the innovation, but actually what are the risks associated with it, whether it's the data privacy or whether it's anything to do with personal information, that's important. Without pointing fingers of blame or anything like that, just within a legacy system, lots of pain points, lots mm -hmm. of pain points. Maybe you could walk us through some of those and with open banking, AI, um, you know, give us a taste of how you see those pain points being effectively tackled and addressed. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So one is about fraud and fraud is quite popular at the moment because actually in the times of uncertainty, fraud has become bigger because uh, the transactions happen quite fast and the time for you to see the fraud is kind of shorter to catch it. So a funny story, so I'm going to share it. I went to Sauna recently and I lost 20,000 pounds in savings in one hour. I was very sad. Wow. Yes. 
Yes, and well, so essentially what happened is in one hour, the frosters, they used five of my different bank providers to make chip and pin transactions in the high-end stores, like really expensive stores like Apple and Harrods, etc. But the biggest thing is um, it was a serial fraud, so it wasn't just me, there was a series of customers from the gyms, different gyms, not just the same gym. And essentially, well, of course, it's a lot of uh, disappointment for me as a customer, right? But I, I mean, the only positive thing is I got on national TV and that kind of made my uh, public speaking career better. But <laughs> You turned a real bad situation into a golden opportunity. Yes, yes. I also started talking to our customers about the fact how they can do security better so that people are not in this situation. Uh, but I think ultimately it was solved. But I think from the technology and AI point, because that was the question, you know, fraud is a great use case because you have so many transactions, whether it's B2B or B2C, and so many, you know, potentially fake accounts, in particular if it's B2B. So it's very hard to look at it case by case, right? And if you take my situation, you know, I'm in distress, right? And unless I get my money back or unless it got frozen at a point in time, this is making me, you know, very vulnerable. So I guess the idea of tech and data opportunities is to look at the patterns within the suspicious transactions and to identify where perhaps something is happening, in, in particular if it's a fraud at scale because only by looking at patterns you can see it and then essentially flagging those things and recommending the next best action. Now, the next best action is quite important because that's something driven by AI and analytics. And that is, you know, informing the things which the physical person may want to do, either call a person in need like me who's vulnerable or, you know, help out. Because in my case, it took quite a lot of time to restore this money. Yeah, wow, an incredible story. So if you don't mind my asking, did you get any of it back or? Yeah, I did, but it took a lot of time and a lot of national TV. <laughs> yeah, the appearance on TV probably helped, I would imagine. Yes, I got on TV, on radio, on newspaper. Oh, wow. And on social media, BBC, which was nice. Yeah. But it was, to be honest, it was quite stressful. And one of the things, uh, the police actually closed this case in 24 hours, not just for me, but for the other victims as well. So that was one of the challenges. Wow. Yeah. Once they close the case, it mm. makes it a lot more difficult. Now. Let's say that we are here in Amsterdam a year later, mm -hmm. we're at our second money 2020 each. What types of things would you like to have seen change between this year and 2024, whether it's on the payments front, the technology payments front, uh, financial services in general, or even the work that you're doing? Mm -hmm. I would probably say like there was a lot of talk about real-time payments, right? And it's a nice concept and some people are really succeeding at it, but it's more making it at scale. And I think one of the biggest changes for me is many of the customers right now 
or many of the businesses right now are product and service that and I want them to take more of a customer lens and essentially what's important is that different customers may balance the trust versus the cost versus you know the safety versus the innovation differently so not the same thing fits everyone and what I see coming whether it's payments or treasury is that there is not one solution not one platform that fits all and the only way we're going to make it successful if it's user-led customer-led business-led and then I'm hoping the customers will be empowered. Mm -hmm. And I could see you as one of the drivers of that change. And when all else fails and they're not letting you drive the change, I could see you going on national TV. <laughs> and never giving up. <laughs> and never giving up, which is fantastic and very inspirational to me. You made time to do this on short notice, both of us coming from different parts mm. of the world. I'm so appreciative. Alina, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Alina Trimofeva is the principal at Oliver Wyman's Digital Practice in London. Be sure to look for her on LinkedIn. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. With more than 1.2 million page views annually, Talking Biz News is the go-to source for happenings in business journalism. Whether you're a PR professional, a business journalist, or someone just breaking into the field, TBN is a source that you cannot do without. Whether you're following the Washington Post, New York Times, local media outlets, or some feisty news startup, Talking Biz News has you covered. Job openings are also listed and updated every day on the TBN website. Be sure to sign up for your free subscription to the TBN newsletter at Talking Biz News. That's Talking B-I-Z News.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Ken Montone. Our business consigliere, the one and only Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Thanks as always to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. 
I'm Lou Carloso. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And if you've got a milkshake, I'm drinking. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.